You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. We pray this message encourages you today. Thanks for listening. with you this morning. Today we're continuing the series that we've been in for the past few weeks called Exiles and Hope. We've been teaching through the New Testament book of 1 Peter, which is actually a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to uh, these Christians who were scattered throughout the various provinces of Asia Minor in the Roman Empire. And these Christians were experiencing a lot of persecution and suffering. And so Peter is writing to encourage them. Uh, he's reminding them of the hope that they have in Christ. He's really reminding them of how to live as exiles in hope. And I believe by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's a lot in here for us in this letter that we're studying to help us live in our reality today as modern Christians. Now, hold that thought for just a moment. Uh, most of you know that I am a father of three boys. Got a picture. That's our Christmas card from this past year. And uh, by the way, for those of you who have, who have daughters, we are open to an arranged marriage. So if any of you would like to see me after service and we can talk a little business and, you know, maybe come to an arrangement, but those are my three good-looking boys, and, <laughs> um, you know, it's funny, every now and then I find myself kind of reminiscing and going through my camera roll on my phone and, and just kind of going down memory lane of when my kids were really little, and I, the other day I was watching videos of them learning how to talk, and just, you know, you forget about those things, and, and the toys that they used to play with, and the things that they were into when they were really little that I've kind of forgot about, and I felt so sad. You know, there's this tension in me as a father. On one side, I don't want my boys to grow up. You know, it's going by so fast, and I want to cherish it because it's a really special time. On the other hand, of course I want them to grow up because I want them to stop eating all of my food and running my grocery bill up. I want them to move out of the house at some point in time. <laughs> all the parents said, amen. <laughs> There's this tension, right? I don't want them to grow up, but of course, in all seriousness, of course I want them to grow up because I'm excited for their future. I'm excited to see what God has for their future, to see them finish high school and go to college and, and you know, decide their career path. And I really believe God is going to use every one of my boys in some way for his kingdom. And I'm excited to see how God's going to use their lives and maybe, you know, finally get married one day and have their own family. Like there's things in my heart for them that I'm excited about. I want to see them grow into who they were meant to be. And today, we're going we're gonna to look at a passage of Scripture that reminds us that God is a loving, heavenly Father who has something in His heart for you and me. He wants to see us grow into everything that He destined and planned for us to become. Come on, if you came to church this morning in the middle of summer, you could have been on the beach somewhere today. I want to encourage you, God has a purpose for your life. God has a destiny for your life. God has something planned for you. He wants to see you grow into everything that he's destined for you to become through Christ Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Last week, we finished out chapter 1 of 1 Peter, and we talked about how the Apostle Peter wrote about how Christians are to experience transformation, that the gospel was meant to come into our lives to change the way we live. And so Peter continues that thought into chapter 2, and he gives us in this chapter one of the most famous descriptions of the Christian life in all of the New Testament, in all of Scripture. He gives this beautiful description of who God desires us to become. So we're going to jump back into it. Are you ready? Here we go. First Peter chapter 2. Let's look at the first couple of verses. The Apostle Peter writes this. He says, therefore... 
That's a big therefore in light of everything that we've said so far, right? That, that God has destined you to become something in Christ Jesus, that he has a plan for you, uh, that he sent his son to save you. There's a hope for you in heaven. The gospel was meant to bring transformation into your life because of all that. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up. Everybody say grow up. That you might grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter says it's God's will for you to grow up in Christ Jesus. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him grow up. Come on, just preach to him. Just preach to him. Some of you can say it like you really mean it. Like, yeah, you need to grow up in Jesus' name. Here's the big idea today for today's message. God's will is for you to, to grow up into who you were meant to become, who he destined you to become, who he planned for you to be in Christ Jesus. And I want to do something a little different today. I'm going to give you, I want to give you three points up front and then three points in the second half of the message, okay? Don't worry, I'm not going to keep you here two hours. We're going to do our best to get this in. I want to give you three ways that you can grow spiritually from 1 Peter chapter 2. And then in, in the latter half of the message, I'm going to give you three things that we're becoming, okay? So kind of, the, kind of the, the, the how, how we get there, and then I'm going to give you the destination from 1 Peter chapter 2. So up front, number th- uh, the first thing is three ways that we can grow up spiritually based on these opening verses. Number one, Peter tells us you got to get rid of sin. Number, if you're going to grow spiritually into everything that, that God would have you to become, you got to get rid of sin. Easier said than done, right? Let's look at what it says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, rid yourselves. And then he gives this list. This isn't meant to be an exhaustive list of every sin, but to give you some ideas. He says, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. How many of you would say our lives would be better if we had less of all of the things on that list? Anybody with me today? Okay, I'm praying for you because I see like only two or three hands. I promise you, your life would be better. The people around you will say amen if you had less of the things on that list in your life. Help us, Holy Spirit. Here's the point. God has some good things that he wants to get to you and me to help us grow into who he desires you to become. But we got to get rid of some things so we can make room for what God wants to give us. The good gifts that God wants to give us. We got to make some room. We got to clear some stuff out. We got to get rid of some stuff. How many of you like me have that place in your house where you tend to accumulate junk? Anybody with me? How many of you got a junk drawer like in the kitchen? Like you open the drawer and it's like the most crazy miscellaneous collection of things in your house. How many of you have that one closet that you're kind of afraid to open it, you know, because you don't know what's going to fly out and land on top of you because it's so crammed full of junk? In the Ziegler household, it's, the, it's our garage. Our garage. Between being a family of five, you know, all the Amazon orders, and the fact that we still have a lot of deliveries that come to the church, for the church to our house, like our garage, we just have to clean it out every few weeks. And I'm pretty sure the neighbors think we're either running an Amazon business out of the garage or we're drug dealers. They're not sure which one, all right? But you wouldn't believe on recycling day, like our neighbors have a nice little, like one little, one little container of things outside. And then there's the Zigglers. It's just like this enormous mess. Like you could build a house out of the cardboard that we put out of the curb. <laughs> I'm serious. It's unbelievable. And I hate clutter. So every time like we clear all that stuff out of the garage, I can like breathe so much better. But here's the point. We got to clear some junk out of our lives, church. 
part of following Jesus is getting rid of some stuff. We love the part of the gospel, the good news where we get some stuff, right? Most of us are like, preach that message where I get salvation, I get forgiveness, I get healing, I get freedom, and that's wonderful. But part of following Jesus isn't just receiving, it's getting rid of some things that you gotta let go of with the help of the Holy Spirit. With the help of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the question. What is in the junk drawer of your heart that needs some cleaning out with the help of the Holy Spirit, with God's help in your life? And I want you to notice that this list is mostly about how we treat other people, malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander. Like most of this has to do with how we deal with other people. In the real world, you get ahead by stepping on other people and putting yourself first. In the kingdom of God, you advance by learning how to love other people well. The great commandment all boils down to love the Lord your God, all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor, love the people around you as you love yourself. And most Christians get stuck on that latter half. They can amen all the messages, sing all the songs, read all the devotionals, but, but when we struggle to love people, we get stuck and we don't grow. And so Peter says, you gotta let go of some things, you gotta get rid of some things. Number two is this, you gotta cultivate an appetite for the things of God. We're talking about some things we need to do to grow into who God has destined us to become. You gotta cultivate an appetite for the things of God. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, you gotta cultivate a desire, an appetite for spiritual nourishment. The point isn't to stay a spiritual baby. Peter isn't saying stay a bunch of babies. He says, I want you to grow up, but just like a baby, an infant craves his mother's milk, right? So it can grow, like you need to crave the things of God. You need to crave the things of, of God. Milk is what nourishes a baby. The word of God is what nourishes a Christian. And here's the good news. You can stir up an appetite for the things of God. You can stir up an appetite. You can cultivate an appetite. The desires that you feed grow. And you are what you eat. But the good news is, is you can cultivate an appetite for the things of God. You can, you can cooperate with his grace in your life. You can go after the things of God. You can get into the word of God. You can cultivate a prayer life. You can learn how to put some worship music on. You can learn how to get still and get silent in God's presence. And you can orient your heart. We're going to get rid of some things, but we're not going to just play defense. We're going to play offense and run to God, run to the presence of God, run to the truth of God, fill our lives with the things of God. I love this. He says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Some translations say, tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Come on, we've tasted of his grace. We've tasted of his mercy. We've tasted of his love and we want some more of it. And Peter says, that's right, cultivate that appetite. I've noticed that if I cultivate an appetite for junk food, I wanna eat more junk food. But if I cultivate an appetite for healthy food, I wanna eat more healthy food. And Peter says, you've already tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Why would you eat fast food when you have an invitation to sit down and dine at a five-star restaurant? If you say, Pastor Jeremy, I wanna take you out to dinner, I'm gonna give you a choice. We can either go to McDonald's or I can take you to a five-star steakhouse. I'm choosing the five-star steakhouse every time. And that's what Peter says, you gotta cultivate an appetite for the things of God. And I've noticed this in my life when when I long for the things of God, when I do things that influence my desire, I can influence my desires. Oh, I've got temptations. I've got struggles. I struggle with the things on the list that we looked at before, just like every one of you. But here's what I've noticed. I have influence over my desires. I can pray. I can choose what I fill my mind with. 
I can spend time in God's presence. I can, I can renew my mind. And when I cultivate those desires, I end up wanting more of the things of God. That's, that's good news. That's what God will do in you over time. He'll lessen the power of sin and create a stronger desire for his presence in your life. Here's the third thing. Peter, right up front, gives us a few ideas of, of how we can grow spiritually. The third thing is build your life on the living stone. Look at this. Verses six through eight. He says, as you come to him, Jesus Christ, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. For in scripture, it says, skip to verse six. In scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. He begins quoting from, from the Old Testament. That's a quote from Isaiah. And then he quotes from Psalms. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then he comes back to Isaiah. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. And so here's what Peter says. You got to build your life on the living stone, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. I like the way the New Living Translation puts verse four. It says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. Now, what is a cornerstone? You don't have to be a builder to know what a cornerstone is. A cornerstone is the foundational stone upon which a building is built. It's, it's laid down, right? And all the other uh, stones and building materials are going to be stacked on top of it. It's, it's foundational to, to a building. And so here's the point. Everybody has a cornerstone in their lives. Everybody has something that they're building their lives on, something that gives your life meaning and purpose and joy. It's what you fall back on. It's what you go to for your source of happiness. It's that thing that gives you meaning and purpose. And for some people, it's their career. For some people, it's their hobbies. For some people, it's how much money they have in the bank account. For some people, it's their looks. For some people, it's relationships. Like everybody has some kind of cornerstone. And all of those things in that list are nice. The problem is every one of those things in that list can be taken away from you. And they will eventually be taken away from you if you live on this planet long enough. And so here's what Peter is saying. You've got to, you've got to decide that Jesus Christ is going to be the cornerstone of your life. Anything that you make the cornerstone of your life besides Jesus Christ will eventually lead your life to crumble. Look at this verse 7. He said, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Remember, Peter He's living in a time of persecution. He's running to Christians who are going through it and they're experiencing rejection. People are rejecting them. Their pagan neighbors around them are rejecting them. They're rejecting the gospel that they're preaching and living out. And, and Peter reminds them, hey, if you're experiencing some rejection, you're in good company because guess who else experienced rejection? Jesus Christ, the son of God, when he came to this planet, his own people didn't accept him. The religious leaders of his time didn't accept him. They, they rejected him, but the one that they rejected has become your salvation. God in his redemptive plan, God in his redemptive plan used their rejection to bring you into the fold. He was writing to mostly Gentile believers who weren't a part of the people of God. And he says, hey, listen, you're experiencing some rejection. You're experiencing some persecution. Your Christian values are a little bit out of sync with the culture that you're living in. Anybody recognize that? He says, be encouraged. God is a redemptive God. They rejected the one and only son of God who came to this planet. And God redeemed that and caused your salvation to come out of it. And so he says, be, be encouraged. Don't be surprised when people around you 
Reject what you believe. Don't be surprised when they reject the message of Jesus Christ. This has been happening for 2,000 years. Don't be surprised when even they reject you because of your values. Hold on to the, to the truth of who God is. Hold on to his redemptive truth of what he's doing through Jesus Christ. In verse 8, Peter quotes from Isaiah, and he says that Jesus is a stone that causes people to stumble. In other words, it all comes down to how you respond to Jesus Christ and his message. And unfortunately, the one who came full of grace, the one who came full of truth, the one who came with a heart to redeem humanity has become a stumbling block for many people because they can't accept his truth. They can't accept his message. Many people want to try to earn their salvation. They want to try to earn God's approval by being a good person. Many people will say, I believe all paths lead to the same place. Many people will say, Jesus Christ, I respect him as a great moral teacher, a great philosopher, but I don't know if I can make the leap to believe that he is the son of God. And so here's what Peter is saying. The one who came to redeem people, the one who came to save people, often his message offends people and people can't see him for who they are. And so the one who is meant to be a means of grace becomes a stumbling block for many people. And that shouldn't surprise you. But here's what he says to you and me as believers. He says, you can either choose to stumble on the block or you can choose to build your life on him. And he shouldn't be a stumbling block to us. He's become the foundation of our lives. He's become the cornerstone by which you build your life. Church, let me help you today because we're living in a world that is preaching to us every day and telling us that all the other things I mentioned on the list are where you find fulfillment, okay? You and me, we're like fish swimming and, and breathing in this. The world is telling us every day, find your fulfillment and how much money you make. Find your fulfillment and how good you look and, and, you know, and get into the gym and get on Instagram and show everybody how awesome your body is. Find fulfillment in sex. Find fulfillment in, in hobbies and entertainment and blah, 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 blah. That that is what the world is preaching to us. You will never grow until you get to the point of saying and making a decision and getting resolute. God, I am building my life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. This is gonna be the most important thing in my life. Everything else comes secondary. Everything else is secondary. God, I cannot live without you. Jesus, I've got to have you in my life. You gotta be the foundation. Like you are the one thing I can build my life on that will not crumble that will not crumble. And I'm building my life on you, building my life on you. And then Peter shifts gears. So he tells us right up front, let me give you some ideas of how you can grow. And then he begins to paint a beautiful portrait. We could do a whole series just on these verses. He begins to paint a beautiful portrait of who we can become. Come on, let me give you some inspiration today. He's gonna to give us some images of who we can grow into in Christ Jesus. And so let me give you three things that God is calling us to become. Here's the first picture he gives us. The first thing is a spiritual house, a spiritual house. Let's look at this, verses four through five. He says, yes, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus Christ, as you continue to come to him over and over again, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Look at verse five. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. As you're building your life on him, he's building you into something. As you're making Jesus Christ the cornerstone of your life, you also are under construction. He's building you into something, and what he's building you into is a spiritual house. Now, you might say, what does that mean, a spiritual house? Well, a spiritual house is a very Old Testament, very Jewish way of saying a temple. We use the word temple. Temple is actually more associated with Greek thought. In, in, in the Old Testament mindset, in the Hebrew mindset, the temple was actually the house of God. 
which is a beautiful picture if you think about it, because the house is where someone lives. And here's what Peter says, God is building you and me into a church. We're being built into a spiritual house, into a temple, into a place where God's presence can dwell. Think about that. Spiritual house is different than temple. That, that hits different, doesn't it? Man, God is actually building me into a, te- into a spiritual a house. A house is a place where someone can live. So God is making me a place where his presence can come and live and dwell. Now, we've got a picture of some stones here. These are some stones from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. I went to Jerusalem back in 2018 and went and saw these amazing stones. I mean, this is the remnant, and the, and the temple was destroyed, but there's still the remnant of the temple, the Temple Mount, and there's these massive stones piled on each other. And Peter's given such a a visual picture of who we're becoming. And and so here's the point. It's like God is stacking you and me together as living stones in his house to build a temple, okay? Don't just be overly individualistic. Recognize that Peter is writing to a group of Christians, to a church. And today, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to you and me as a church, we're becoming something together. But how many of you know, as you stack stones on top of each other, they're going to rub up against each other a little bit every now and then? Hello? You stack stones like that to build something, they're going to rub up against each other every now and then. And and can I just encourage you and just tell you preemptively, if you stick around church long enough, as God is building us into something, you're going to rub up against some other Christians. Some other Christians are going to rub you the wrong way. You might join a life group and find out that everybody doesn't have your same political opinion. Sorry. You might encounter somebody whose personality just rubs you the wrong way. Somebody might forget your birthday, even though it's on Facebook. You're like, hello, it's on Facebook. It could still happen. They might forget your birthday. At some point in time, we're all going to get offended by somebody who's rubbing us the wrong way. And so many Christians bail out of the church because they got hurt by somebody, not realizing that the church of Jesus Christ is made up of imperfect people because that's the only people that God has to work with. If he didn't have, he wouldn't have anybody to work with if they had to, if they had to be perfect, but it's just down to you and me. <laughs> and so here's the point. The only way to overcome offense in, in the church and getting knocked off course is to recognize that we're being built into something greater to Together than we could ever be on our own. We're being built into something greater together than we could ever be on our own. And let me help you today. If you keep an overly individualistic mindset when you come to church, then you won't last long. If Christianity is just content to be consumed and podcasts and live streams and books and devotional, those things are wonderful. But let me tell you what God is doing in this world. He's doing through the church of Jesus Christ. That is plan A and there is no plan B. So you and I, we can't accomplish our mission without each other. That's a good spot to say amen. We can't accomplish our mission. Yeah, because we like the content thing. We'd rather just, no, I just want to watch the live stream. And Pastor Jeremy, like when the message is great, I'll watch you. If it's not good, I'll fast forward through it. And I'll just, you know, come to, this, come to the series that I want to hear. That's, that's the drift of our hearts. I know I'm preaching for a minute. But, Paul's, but Peter's saying, no, no, God's building you into something. Like I can be a pretty good stone on my own. I can be a nice little stone, but I can't become a temple on my own. There's something I can only become with you, with all of your imperfections and your hangups. Because you know what? I need your spiritual gifting. I need your perspective. I need your heart. I need your testimony. I need the experience that you've had with God. When I get with you and you tell me about your experience with Jesus, my picture of Jesus just gets bigger. I need your giftings and your, your talents. And so Peter says, get this, you're being built into something, a spiritual house where God's presence can dwell, where two or three are gathered together in his name. 
Not when you're all by yourself listening to your Christian podcast. Nope. Where two or three are gathered together in his name. There I am. I dwell in your midst. You're being built into a spiritual house. Is this good? Is this helping anybody? Here's the second thing. What are you becoming? Number two, he says you're, be, you're becoming a holy priesthood. You're becoming a holy priesthood. Look at verse 5, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This doesn't mean we're going to do any sacrificing. It just means doing the work of God. Priests of God doing the work of God. Later on in verse 9, he calls the believers a royal priesthood. Now, this one, I think, is really difficult for most of us because most of us, when we think about a priest, we have a certain image that comes to mind, right? Most of us, especially in this area with so many traditional backgrounds and mindsets, we think of a priest as being a holy person who dresses a certain way, talks a certain way, right? And that person is really different than how we see ourselves. But what is the essential idea of a priest, the essential role of a priest in the Bible, in Scripture, in the Old Testament sense? Well, a priest in the Old Testament sense, was an intermediary. An intermediary, someone who represented God to the people and represented the people to God. Think about Moses, as you read in the Old Testament. Moses stood between God and the people. There were times when the people were, were, were so fearful. They, they were so glad to have Moses as a buffer between them and God because God was about to kill them for their, their selfishness and their rebellion, right? And it's like, thank God, Moses, you go to God. Like, we don't want to go to him. You go up on the mountain and get the Ten Commandments. Who are we? Moses stood between God and the people. He represented God to the people and the people to God. Think about Jesus Christ, the greatest embodiment of a priest, literally God in the flesh who came to us to represent God to us like never before, to walk in our shoes and to truly identify with us. A priest is someone who carries the presence of God, carries the presence of God. In other words, you have a role and your role comes with a responsibility. As a priest, think about it this way, you're a spiritual influencer. Get the idea out of your mind as somebody with robes and, you know, a little collar or whatever. Like, no, no, you're called. Let me make it simple for you. As a, as a holy priesthood, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're called to be a spiritual influencer. You carry the presence of God with you wherever you go. You might say, well, Pastor Jeremy, I'm just a teacher. No, 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 you're not just a teacher. You are God's representative in that classroom to put the kingdom of God into the hearts of those kids, to carry a different presence into that classroom, to bring the kingdom of God into that classroom. You might say, Pastor Jimmy, I'm just a medical professional, you know, making the rounds in my clinic or my hospital. No, 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 no. You are God's representative in that hospital, in that clinic, in your place of work to bring the presence of God with you wherever you go, to bring the healing touch of Jesus with you to people who you encounter. I'll just keep going because y'all are being quiet. You might say, Pastor Jeremy, I'm just a business professional, you know, making deals and doing business in the marketplace. No, 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 you are God's representative in the marketplace to show people what it looks like to lead like Jesus, to do business ethically, to bring the kingdom of God everywhere you go. You are a spiritual influencer. You carry the presence of God with you. And let me tell you something, church, our world is so broken People are hurting right now. In every direction, people are desperate for truth, just like in Peter's time. People are desperate for truth, and they're looking in every direction. You can Google everything. Isn't it amazing? We live in the information age where you can Google everything, and people are more messed up than ever before. People are broken, church. People are looking for truth, and they're trying to find it in all these places, and people are so desperate to encounter somebody who has the presence of God in their life. And you can be that person. And I'm telling you, 
you get serious about this and you get prayed up and you start getting this mindset that I'm not just whatever. I represent God. I carry the kingdom of God. I carry the Holy Spirit. I carry the presence of God. Wherever I go, I'm a spiritual influencer. I promise you people will begin to take notice. I promise you, people will seek you out and say, I noticed something different about you. And you would be surprised how quickly the conversation would go to. Would you pray for me? Because I'm really going through something. You're one of those Christians. You're a person of prayer. Would you pray? I'm telling you, people, people are looking for power. Are you with me? People are looking for a real source of power. And you and I carry the presence of the living God in our lives. And Peter says, it's time that you live like it. It's time that you remember like, who God has called you to become. And then he gives us a third picture. He says, you're a, you're, a, you're a holy priesthood, you're a spiritual house, you're a holy priesthood. And then he says, you're also a chosen people. You're a chosen people. Look at this, verses 9 and 10. He says, but you are, a, one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, literally a people for his possession, a people who belong to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Oh, what a beautiful description. Peter says, you're a chosen people. You're not just anybody. You're a chosen people. Once you are far away from God, once you are away from him in, in your sin, but by his grace, he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He brought you into his family, into his people. Come on, doesn't it feel wonderful to be chosen? Think about that. Remember when, yeah, come on. Remember when you were a kid picking teams on the playground, playing sports, and somebody picked you and you didn't get picked last? Didn't that feel good? Feels good to be chosen. Or maybe think about when you got your job, you know, hopefully you're happy with your job, to know that you got picked out of that stack of resumes, somebody believed in you and chose you for the job. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. Isn't it wonderful to be chosen romantically by somebody, for somebody to see your worth and your value and to ask you out on a date, you know, or to make a match with somebody on a dating app? I don't know. I've been married for 20 years, but I heard that's how it works these days, you know? Somebody swipes right on your profile, and gave you a chance, and, and you made a match. I married a couple last year. They met on Bumble. If you don't know about Bumble, Bumble's like where the woman's kind of in control of the, of, the, of the whole deal, right? And they made a match on Bumble, and she didn't make a move right away, and he extended her. He gave her more time. He extended her. Gave her like 24 hours. I, I don't know. That's how they told me it worked. And they ended up making a match and getting married. And he said to herself, aren't you thankful that I extended you? <laughs> and I said, you know, I could resonate with that. Because there wasn't many dating apps over 20-something years ago when Amy and I got together in Bible college, but I extended her. She needed a little extra time, you know? I was into her, and she wasn't quite feeling it, and I was praying because she was running away from, from God's will for her life. And I was like, Lord, you need to make it clear to her that this is your will for her life. And she finally came out of darkness into God's marvelous light. Amen? Come on, it's wonderful. <laughs> Is she in here? She needs to hear this message today. <laughs> it's wonderful to be chosen <laughs> by someone, isn't it? Now stop and think about this today. I know we're having fun and we're laughing. What a wonderful thing. It's one thing to be a Christian. It's one thing to be a religious person. It's one thing to go to church. It's another thing to be chosen by God Almighty to be chosen by a loving heavenly father. Can I just encourage you today, no matter what you're going through, 
no matter what kind of week you had, no matter what kind of sin and temptation you're battling with right now, and the enemy wants to tell you that's who you are, listen to me. You are chosen by God Almighty, by a loving Heavenly Father who thought you were worth it enough to send His one and only Son to redeem you. That's who you are. Chosen by God. And I want you to live into it. Peter says, live into who you're called to be. He says in in verse 10, he says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In other words, we have become a part of God's people, his family, by his grace, by his mercy. That's what God always wanted. He always wanted a family of his own. That's what Adam and Eve were about. Didn't go well, didn't go right, didn't last long, but he wanted a people. That's what the Israelites were about in the Old Testament. He always wanted a people. He always wanted a family. When that didn't work, he sent his son Jesus to redeem his plan and get things back on track. And that's what the church of Jesus Christ is all about. God's always wanted a people for himself to represent him in this world, to carry his purposes to work out his plan of of redemption, to to be his representative, to be his people, to be his family. And that's who you and me, that's who we are. Once we we were far away from God, once we had not received mercy, but you and me, we've received mercy. We've received mercy. And so followers of Jesus are mercy-shaped people. We're shaped by mercy. You check the tag on the back of a Christian, like the tag on the back of the shirt, and it says, made by grace. Made by God's grace, made by the grace of God, the mercy of God. When we least deserved it, he loved us so well. And so church, here's what I want you to know today. God is a loving heavenly father whose heart is for you. And just like me as a dad, I have things in my heart for my kids, for their future. I want to see them grow into everything God, that God has destined them to be. Guess what? That's, that's the father's heart for you. He wants you to grow into who He's calling you to be who he's designed you to be. And here's the reality. So often we're distracted. So often we're chasing after all those other things that we think are going to give us meaning and purpose, careers and money and relationships. And those things aren't bad. It's just that we end up trying to make those things the most important thing. And we end up dealing with sin and temptation and playing defense, just trying not to sin. Ever been there before? Just trying not to sin, playing defense. And God's saying, I've got so much more for you. I'm inviting you into a whole different life to become who I've called you to become. Can I just encourage you today? Jesus didn't just come to save you from something. He came to make you into something. He didn't just come to save you from something. We're so familiar with that. He came to save me from my sins. He came to save me from damnation. He came to save me from hell. Yes, that's true. But he didn't just come to save you from something. He came to make you into something, into someone. His son, his daughter, his child, part of his family. Come on, you are a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people belonging to God you may show forth, you may show out the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, come on, let's fall in love with him all over again. Let's fall in love with his grace all over again. Let me tell you, it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. That's what the apostle Paul said. It's by the grace of God. Come on, let's get in touch with his grace all over again. God, thank you 
Thank you that you saved a place for me. God, thank you that you saw potential in me. God, thank you that I was worth you sending your son, Jesus, to, to redeem me. Come on, here's the good news. God, thank you that you didn't just leave me to do this on my own, but you placed me in a family. You gave me a church. You gave me people who love me, who will pray with me, who will hold my hand with me, who are going on the same journey with me, and we're gonna get there together. We're being built into a spiritual house where God's presence can dwell. Come on, we're not in this by ourselves but he's doing something in our lives and he's building us together to be a spiritual house where literally we can experience the presence of God. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that, it inspires me. It changes my heart. It gets me out of defense mode and settling for so much less. I'm just going to avoid sin. And it gives me a little bit of Holy Spirit infusion to say, God, I want to step into everything that you're calling me to become. Amen? Because he's got something beautiful in his heart for you. So would you stand with me? And can we take a moment to pray into this today? To ask God to help us. I know we, need, we can only become what he desires us to become by his grace, through the work of his Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? If you're comfortable, maybe you wanna just bow your head and just lift your hands and say, God, I need you. I'm open to you as a symbol of surrender. God, I'm building my life on you. Jesus, I'm coming back to you as my cornerstone. Coming back to you as the foundation of my life. Would you do that with me today? God, we need your presence. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this truth today. Lord, we thank you for reminding us of who we can be because Lord, we're capable of settling for something so much less, but Lord, we thank you by your spirit. You call us to something so much more and we open your word and we get a glimpse of it. And Lord, we say, go ahead and do a work in us today. Somebody needs to make that personal. God, go ahead and do a work in me today. Draw me closer to you. Jesus, we're coming back to you to be the cornerstone of our lives. We're gonna get rid of the things in our junk drawer that we need to get get rid of so we can make more room for you in our hearts today. Jesus, we are declaring today, someone needs to pray this, you are the foundation of my life. You are the foundation of my home. You are the foundation of my marriage if you're married. Jesus, you are the cornerstone of our lives. We're coming back to you today. And Lord, we're asking by your spirit to make us into everything that you're calling us to be. We wanna step into that reality. Lord, to be those who carry your presence, living stones in your house, being built into something greater than we could ever be in our own. Priests who carry your presence in a broken world and a chosen people who belong to you, made by your grace, made by your mercy, who walk in it, who live in it. Father, I pray that, pray this over your people. May they become everything you desire them to be by your mercy and your grace and through the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, if you receive that into your life, would you say amen? Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org or follow us on social media.